0: Something that wasn't in my notes, but I felt compelled to share as a, as a prefix for this message is yesterday's read how many have been reading along in our bible reading plan this year it's it's new this year and so i know a a lot um we have more hands in the first i'd love to get more hands in the second and it's newer this year so if you don't know about it on our website we have a bible reading plan that we would love if you journey along with us because it just makes conversations richer sometimes i'll I'll share from um those readings because i'm reading it right along with you and Two scriptures we're going to stand on today from the last two weeks of reading, one of which I want to start as a precursor. Jesus said this you cannot put new wine into old wineskins. And, and today I want to ask you to, to put aside your old wineskin. In other words, put aside your old paradigm on today's topic because some of us have been given the wine skin of of Christianity and so maybe we've got maybe we've gotten so almost legalistic on this side and I believe that there could be some new wine God wants to give to this many of us here have gotten this wine skin from the world and and, and so we're talking about Uh, a a pg-13 subject matter today we are going to talk about sex a little bit today and so if you have young people that you want to uh utilize our lift uh lift kids ministry they do a fantastic job and i so very highly recommend that you uh lean into that ministry but there, I will be getting PG-13 today, no more steamier than the Bible gets, because how many of y'all know, some places in the Bible, it's, it's pushing PG-13 in some of these areas of the Bible, and so I'm just giving you a heads up today as we jump in to the message. So, let me start with a story from Genesis chapter 25 that's going to be a metaphor to, to set up this whole message. In Genesis chapter 25, it's the story of Esau who sells his birthright to his brother Jacob for a bowl of soup. In case you're not familiar with this story, um, Isaac had twins of sons Esau was born first, and then Jacob. And Esau was a man's man. He was an outdoorsman. He was a hunter. He was he was he was was hairy. He he was always with his father. Esau Esau was always out. Jacob was the opposite. He was always in the house with his mother. He, he had some culinary skills. Oh my goodness, he could He could whip up a, a mean bowl of soup and, and the Bible says that one day Jacob in genesis twenty five was out hunting. He stayed out too long, lost lost. Uh, lost his perspective on maybe the time and how long he was out there, he comes back to the house weak, depleted, and in his own words, about to die. He literally thinks, this is it. I, I, I spent too much of myself. And he smells the soup that uh, Jacob has made. And he's like, oh, I'd give anything for a bowl of that soup. Would you serve me up some? And Jacob, taking advantage of his weakness, says that I will give you a bowl of soup if you give me the birthright, and I'll share what the birthright means, but the birthright inheritance was a rich inheritance, and and Esau said, I'm about to die anyway. What good is a rich inheritance if you're going to die anyway? Sure, game on. I take the deal. Here's my birthright. You give me a bowl of soup. And the premise of the story we're going to use all throughout today's message, that Esau gave up so much for so little. He gave up so much for so little. And if we're honest with ourselves, we're all capable, especially with relationships, of making the same uh, 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 a boneheaded mistake as Esau did that we can at times get in a jam or get in a place of vulnerability where we too will give up so much for so little, which reminds me a little bit of a Boudreaux and Thibodeau joke I once heard. <laughs> Boudreaux and Thibodeau, are two good Cajun old boys, and Boudreaux once put a sign out in front of his house that said, talking dog for sale. And Thibodeau comes by and says, "Boudreaux, you got talking dog? I didn't know that is for sale. Can I go meet it?" And, and Boudreaux says, "Yeah, he's all, he's chained up around back. You go ahead." And so Thibodeau goes around back, and he starts talking to this dog. And oh, the stories are fascinating. The dog the dog has been an astronaut and been out of space. He's won wars. He's traveled the whole globe. And now he says, "I'm chained up into this backyard next to the bayou of Boudreaux's house." And Thibodeau's was like, oh, man, he goes back to the front yard, and he says to Boudreau, my mind is blown. Oh, my goodness, there's a talking dog back there. How much you want for that? That that dog's amazing. How much you want for that? Boudreau said $5, and Thibodeau said, I can't believe so cheap. Why so cheap? And Boudreau said, because that dog's a liar. He ain't left that backyard ever in his whole life. (laughs) Come on. Cue the argument hangover. <laughs> Come on, because some of y'all like, that joke ain't funny. But that's all right. I, ha- I-, I polled a few people in our church before telling it, and one woman said, I think men will find it funny. I think women will go, that's stupid. That's a stupid joke. So you might be having an argument hangover on the way home. That joke's just not funny. It's funny to me. Okay, so. But it does help me emphasize that, that Satan is just like that sign in the front yard, always overpromising and under delivering boy does he put a sign out front saying you can have all this only to find out that dog's a liar c.s lewis once said it this way what really gladdens satan's heart is to get the man's soul and give him nothing in return listen to that if you want Satan to chuckle, if you want cha- Satan to, uh, 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 to get a rise, he gets a rise at taking your birthright for as little as a bowl of soup. It, he gets even more of a kick the more he can take for the little that he can give you in exchange. And so we could ask the question of Jacob and Esau that honestly, how much was Esau really giving up? I mean, it was just a one-time pleasure. It was just a one-time fulfillment. It was just a one-time warm bowl of soup on a cold day when he was totally weak and depleted. Like, how much did he really give up? Well, our Bible says that his daddy, Isaac, was loaded. The Bible says he was wealthy, that his harvest came in a hundredfold more than others. And by the way, the oldest child gets a When the father dies, the oldest child gets all of the land. Somebody say, that ain't fair. Anyone who's not the oldest child, say, that ain't fair. Middle child up in here, that's not fair. All of daddy's land goes to big brother. Come on. And whenever they divide up the estate, the, the oldest child gets a double portion. In other words, if you have two sons then when daddy dies, divide his estate to three. Give one to the younger son and give two to the oldest. Somebody say, that ain't fair. If there's four sons, divide the estate by five. Give all of the children three. uh, uh, Give all of the, the, the three children, the three youngest, one portion. Give the oldest two. And so when when Esau gave up his birthright, he was given up all the land and a double portion. So indulge me at my attempt to modernize that to 2024, according to 2023 Schwab, uh, 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 Schwab's modern wealth survey. For we, for whatever matter, for whatever reason, perceive 2.2 million dollars as wealthy. That's where Americans are at. So. If Abraham were living in our day it would mean that Jacob was to receive $733,000 that ain't a bad inheritance come on $733,000 Jacob was going to receive that's not bad at all until you hear that Esau not only gets all the land but he gets $1.5 million dollars so Esau, what was he really giving up? He was giving up $733,000 for a $7 bowl of Panera soup. That's modernizing Genesis chapter 25. And we too can make Very vulnerable, incredibly unwise decisions when we get ourselves in a jam or a weak moment or a place of vulnerability where we will give up so much for so little. We too have an inheritance even greater than Esau's and Satan's trying to get us all to give it up for a bowl of measly soup. So I've entitled today's message, if you're taking notes, and I highly recommend it because I'm moving fast and I got a lot for you to study. So please take notes today. Take out your phone. You can do it. I've named this message Seductive Soup. Seductive Soup. See, Satan has many tools to seduce us today. He's got many that work, but I would think that many of us would agree that one of his pervading uh, 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 bowls of soup today that he has used to steal numerous birthrights is the, 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 is sexual seduction. In fact, we all know that it's everywhere in our day. There's hardly a place that you can go where you don't see it. There's hardly a marketing advertisement where you don't see it. It is abnormal if you don't see seduction in the form of sex in our day and age even my wife and I and our family were watching the Super Bowl and halftime show comes on and we made it about 70 seconds and my wife goes it's surprisingly clean never mind Because you're almost expecting, when are they going to throw it in our face? When, are they, when, are, when is it going to be under the next rock you pick up? When's it going to be in the next marketing ad? When's it going to be in the next movie? In order for a movie to win, in order for an ad to win, in order for a relationship to win, it's got to get hot, it's got to get sexy, it's got to get steamy. It's all over the place. Our, our, our world says that 58% of adults regularly use porn. 58%. That means if there was 10 of us standing up, only four sit down as not struggling in this area because Satan has figured out one of the pervading ways to steal birthrights for a moment of temporary pleasure. And so Proverbs chapter 7 is something we were reading in our Bible reading plan last week, and God started showing me some things in this, and I love this story. It comes from the book of wisdom, and that's what this sermon is meant to be, a message of wisdom, a message of, hey, let me help some people before it's too late. And by the way, if it's already been too late, our God is a God who restores and redeems, and he's got a plan for you today. Someone say amen. Proverbs chapter 7 goes like this while i was at the window of my house looking through the curtain i saw a naive i saw some naive young men and one in particular who lacked common sense tell your neighbor don't be that guy <laughs> don't be that guy he was crossing the street near the house of an immoral woman strolling down the path by her house it was at twilight in the evening As deep darkness fell, the woman approached him seductively dressed and sly of heart. She was the brash, rebellious type, never content to stay at home. She is often in the streets and markets, soliciting at every corner. She threw her arms around him and kissed him, and with a brazen look, she said, I've just made my peace offerings and fulfilled my vows. Wow, doesn't that sound so spiritual? Doesn't that sound so godly? And isn't that the greatest come online? I've just had my peace offerings. I've just come from the church. Can I tell you that in our day and age, we've got to keep our eyes open and discerning. Because even in our day and age, seductive soup even gets mixed up with people who the next sentence says, yeah, I'm Christian too. But Christianity following Christ does not line up with this kind of thinking and behavior. But there are people today who will go around saying, I'm Christian too, yet I am regularly making, brewing, partaking, and eating seductive soup too. See, we cannot mix this all up. We cannot say, I've just done a holy thing, now let's do an unholy thing. And she says this, you're the one I was looking for. I came out to find you, and here you are. Look how she appeals to every human being's need to be seen, valued, appreciated, and loved. And sometimes seductive soup's going to come and say, I see you. I I, I value you. I, I, I care for you. But it's all a smokescreen front. Verse 16, My bed is spread with beautiful blankets with colored sheets of Egyptian linen. I perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and and cinnamon. If you are new to reading your Bible, you've got to start going, this stuff is in there? I remember the first time I ever read this, I was like, this junk's in there too? Like, it's keeping it totally real. It's keeping it totally 2024. It's keeping it right where you and I are at. So don't let somebody say, the Bible's old-fashioned. It is incredibly relevant. says this, come, let's drink our fill of love until morning. Let's enjoy each other's caresses, for my husband is not home. Oh, man. She's not just an immoral woman, she's an adulterer woman. she got a ring on it too. It's getting worse and worse and worse. Clearly the seducer has no morals or no limits that he or she will not go. This is an equal opportunity message. This is not picking on females. This is just as much as males can seduce females, females, males, uh, uh, same gender and everything. He's away on a long trip. Look at verse 21. So she seduced him with her pretty speech and enticed him with her flattery. The Hebrew, uh, uh, the original Hebrew language says she caused him to yield. She caused him to relent. She caused him to give up and give in. In other words, this is the breaking point decision. That if you take this bowl of soup, it's going to cost you your whole birthright and it will begin to break things all around you. This is the breaking point. So much for so little. We're talking about uh, uh, giving up the birthright for a bowl of soup. So because seduction is everywhere in our day and age, I want to give you from the Bible two keys to succeed with seduction. Write these down. Two keys to succeed with seduction. I'm going to stay in Proverbs 7 to get some of these insights today. Number one, start with the end in mind. You've literally got to start with where you want to go in mind as you navigate today. Look at what it says in Proverbs 7:22, describing what happens next to the foolish man. Suddenly, he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter, not knowing the outcome. Until an arrow pierced his liver with a mortal wound, like a bird fluttering straight into the net, he did not know that it would, say these last four words with me, cost him his life. Say those last four words again. Cost him his life. You've got to start with the end in mind. It is one thing to turn aside for a momentary pleasure, throwing off all the cares of the future birthright, only to not realize I didn't know it would cost this much. I didn't know it would cost my future relationships. I didn't know it would cost my present relationship. I didn't know it would cost my place in society. I didn't know it would cost my reputation. I didn't know it would cost my confidence, my peace, my joy. I didn't know that this momentary bowl of soup would cost so I just thought I was depleted I thought I deserved it I thought I earned it And I thought I needed it And when I took it, I did not realize That like an ox going to a slaughter It took way more than I expected Two key questions to ask When we start with the end in mind 1A is this Where do you want to go? Where do you want to go? I'm talking as basic As heaven or hell Where do you want to go? That should be enough to occupy our thoughts to think about where do I want to go. But even if that's 80%, let me give you the other 20%, where do you want to go for the rest of your life? Your future on earth, heaven or hell? Because this decision is going to decide where you now go. It says in in verse 27 of Proverbs 7, Her house is the way to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. In other words, wow, it's so enticing and it looks so good. But there's a knife on the back end of it, and there's a cost that you weren't aware of. And by the way, this definitely applies to sexual seduction, but it applies to any form of temptation. This is an equal opportunity message, that when the tempter comes to our house, it looks so good up front. But the bowl of soup is not worth the birthright and the blessing of your future. I was re the movie Inception recently. Come on, anybody like Inception? Come on, I, I, I need some help in this second experience right here. None of y'all reading with the Bible and None of y'all watched Inception. We gotta help some people out. I almost said Leonardo da Vinci, but it's Leonardo DiCaprio. Come on. Was uh, in this movie where they were jumping, he and his wife were jumping in and out of dreams. And one of the concepts of the movie is that over time, his wife lost touch with what was real and what was just a dream. And so one of the biggest travesties of Leonardo DiCaprio's uh, 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 middle of the plot, it's a spoiler alert, but you had 17 years to watch the movie, so I'm allowed to spoil it, okay? (laughs) In the middle of the movie, one of his biggest travesties is that she's going to jump off of a high building top because she believes, just like any dream, if you kill yourself, you wake up in reality. But she had lost the concept that she was in reality and she just threw herself off of a a, a tall building committing suicide not being awake to reality. I think a lot of us can do that too. That we are stuck in a dream world where we think these sins, these consequences of throwing our caution to the wind and just jumping off, will have no consequences. We'll have no death ramifications. We'll have no issues. And so we just begin to partake in things thinking it's only a dream. It's not that big of a deal. It's a momentary bowl of soup. I'll ask somebody to forgive me. I'll ask God to forgive me. It'll all go back to normal tomorrow. And while our God is a forgiving God, he also says, I desire obedience over sacrifice. And so um, you got to ask, where do you want to go? You got to ask number two, I'm sorry, number one, B, how do you want to be remembered? How do you want your kids to talk about you one day? How do you want your legacy to be remembered? How do you want your spouse to talk about you? How do you want your friends? How do you want your coworkers to refer to you? Because you probably don't want to be described the same way as the man was described in Proverbs chapter 7, where it says in verse 7, he's a simple man. He's a foolish man. He's a naive man. There was one in particular who was dumber than the rest. That's That's the PDV version. This dude was dumb. (laughs) Like, literal, the Hebrew words are naive, gullible. One lacking sense walked down the road. We could add uh, 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 also adjectives after the fact. The cheater, the dumb as an ox guy. Because like an ox goes into the slaughterhouse and loses his life, he was as dumb as an ox. You do not want to be remembered as the dumber As dumb as an ox girl, as dumb as an ox man. Come on. You've got to ask yourself, is this short pleasure worth altering your life forever? Let me say that again. You might want to write that down. Is this short pleasure worth altering your life forever? Do I want a bowl of soup for my future blessing and birthright? Verse 25 of Proverbs 7 says, Don't let your heart stray away towards this woman. Don't wander down her wayward path, for she has been the ruin of many. Many have been her victims. She's been successful for a long time. There's a lot of naive people walking around going, won't happen to me. That'll never happen to me. I'll defy the odds. I'm stronger than that. I'm smarter than that. And and she has taken those people down Once again, this is not about genders. Mix that up because this is for all of us. I can remember being in a young leaders meeting where 4,000 young leaders were there and one of the most respected Christian male leaders was up on the stage. I've told this story before and John Maxwell stood on the stage and he said, I am the most vulnerable man in this room, the most susceptible vulnerable man in this room to having an adulterous affair. And I was so new to Christ, I was like, please don't say that. Show us what Christian manhood looks like. Show us what integrity looks like. Show us we can still make it today. Give us an example. And then he finished by saying, and it's because I believe I'm the most vulnerable man in the room to having an adulterous affair, I am the least likely man in the room to having an adulterous affair. For it's the ones who think it'll never happen to me that let their guards down so much that it ends up happening to you. I saw, oh, what a brilliant understanding, because you're not strong enough. The biggest deception Satan could get you when a bowl of soup is offered to you is for you to think, I'm strong, I'm able, I can do it all on my own. Watch how my purity is. Watch how my strength is. Watch how how my, my piety is. Watch how my Bible reading is. Watch how my prayer is. But Jesus said, when you are weak, then I am strong. And so I, I, I hate to burst your bubble. You are not strong enough. You need to constantly stay in connection with how weak you are and how strong our God is. And he wants to save you even again today. If you know that, can you give me a hand clap of praise? <laughs> Deciding how you want to be remembered makes staying on course much easier. When you're walking down that road and something enticing comes, and you never know when it's going to happen. It could be in the next movie. It can be in the next content. It could be in the next conversation. It could be in the next relationship. It can be in the next cubicle. You don't know when it's coming, but when it does, knowing how I want to be remembered helps me keep my eyes lit on the prize that I want to be walking with him in integrity. If, now, let me, let me back this up and say, if you've already made a mistake... I want to make sure that you understand our God is not a God of condemnation. He doesn't come here today to cloak you with heaviness of guilt and shame. If you bring it before the Lord, he is a forgiver of your sins. He looks to redeem and to restore. So do not let the enemy have another moment of condemnation in your heart. He does not judge you, and I do not judge you. If you brought it before the Lord, he says, I have forgiven this. However, let's walk a new path going forward. And so this is a message of from this point forward, I'm going to walk with him. Can I get an amen? Psalm 40 says it this way, God lifted me out of the pit I was in. I was in a muddy, murky, miry place. What is mire? I don't know, but it was not good and I was down there. And he lifted me up out of it. He set my feet on solid ground, and he steadied me as I walk along. God wants to take you out of your pit today. Do not let Satan tell you that you belong in a pit. You're a screw-up. You will always be a screw-up, and you're never going to find your way out of a pit. Tell him no in the name of Jesus Christ. Let God restore you, and then from this point forward, let's do it his way. Can I get an amen? amen? Number two, it says in verse 26, For this woman cast down many mortally wounded. Indeed, all who were killed by her, say these last two words with me, were strong. Say that with me again. Were strong. All that she has killed thought they were strong too. All that she has killed. She didn't pick off the lowest fruit. She didn't pick off the easiest ones. She didn't pick off the weak ones. She picked off ones who were strong as well. In other words, number two, the the, the second key to to succeeding with seduction is to stay away from strength sappers. Stay away from strength sappers. I've got three to share with you that I think take away a lot of our strength and resistance. The first one is this: too much alcohol. Ephesians 5:18 says, "Do not be drunk. Do not be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life." Secular science has said, in college campuses and across adults, there has never been an era where more alcohol was uh, um, consumed. There has never been a time where more people have had blackouts, passouts, cannot remember what happened yesterday. There's never been a time in history where alcohol hasn't been more potent than now. So, here's what I can't say as your pastor. there, there is not a scripture in alcohol that says it is sin to drink. But I need to give you the fair balance that there is scripture that says, "Do not be drunk." For it will ruin your life. And where you find that threshold is a very risky gambling place to play. Because one drink too many is already too late. And what secular science has all been telling us is this. That the effects of alcohol, this comes from Malcolm Gladwell in his book, Talking to Strangers. Alcohol's principal effect creates a state of short-sightedness in which superficially understood immediate aspects of experience have a disproportionate influence on behavior and emotion. In other words, the bowl of soup looks so very good and the birthright means nothing to me right now. The pleasure in this moment, instant gratification goes, throw caution to the wind, YOLO, live for the moment, let's have a good time, deal with the consequences later, how bad could it be? It's a one-time passing bowl of soup, this won't jack anything up, indulge for the moment, live for the moment, take the bowl of soup. And alcohol, at the same time, makes future consequences dissipate into nothing. So you're not thinking about future consequences. You're not thinking about how much this will ruin your life. You become the foolish one walking by the immoral woman's house going, how much harm could it be? Live for the moment. Take the pleasure. I've earned it. Go all in. I'll be able to walk out with my head held high later. No, you won't. Like an ox gone into the slaughter. Like an arrow piercing your liver. It will ruin your life. See, there are people here who might be able to drink and get away with it. And you know what? I want to be as fair as possible. As your pastor cannot call a sin. But there's many here who should not consume any alcohol. Maybe you come from a lineage of alcoholics in your family, and that's a slippery slope you're never going to recover from. Not to mention there have been many here whose testimony is, I got freed from alcoholism when I started coming to Live Church. And God has been doing a great work in my life and he has restored me. Now, I I, I would hate for me to be the one who is the small group leader who has them to my house. And then I break out a simple glass of wine only for them to go back down the slippery slope, which God said would be worse for me to have a millstone tied around my neck than to cause another person to stumble. In other words, if you are going to indulge, you better be really wise about it, and you better be able to turn it off before it turns your future off and your blessing off. Is that fair enough? Can you give me a little help? Because that's not easy to talk about. We live in an era where people tell Christians, you're free to do, but I'm also free not to do. Everything's permissible, but not everything's beneficial. And just like you might say, I'm free to have a few, I'm free not to have any. I'm just telling you, there is a freedom in that too. So, so, so weigh that out, but the more that you do drink, the lower your resistance level goes. Number two, if you're married in here, keep it hot in your own bedroom. Oh, this is pastor's favorite part of the message right here. If you're married... God designed sex as much more than procreation. I can remember the version of Christianity I was born into. I had a Christian leader tell me that sex was only for procreation. And I thought, that sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're going to have a lot of kids in my family then. (laughs) But if you read your Bible, there are quite often steamier sections of the Bible that says that sex is also designed to bond two people together, to unite them, to turn their head from other distractions back to one another. We actually sap our spouse's strength when we withhold intimacy. We literally are saying, I have a power that no one else has, but I refuse to use it. And we've got to be the type of people who are bringing the bond closer and closer together. Now, hear me this. This is not being said to weaponize this against another person. This is being said to help you see that when God created something wonderful, he created it with multitude of blessings. And it brings people into a closer bond. Proverbs 5, if you got young kids, hide their eyes, drink water. From your own cistern. That's metaphor. (laughs) Drink water from your own pure marriage relationship and fresh running water from your own well. Should your springs or children be dispersed as streams of water in the streets, confine yourself to your own wife. This does not sound like a prude of a God who's like, oh, don't say sex, 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 sex. I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't know why I invented it. Oh, it makes me weird it out. No, 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 no. This sounds like a God who says, I'm not a prude. I just have the best in mind for you. And so I put it in the confinement of covenant because people break things when they don't have covenant. And, and, and he says this, let your children be yours alone and not the children of strangers with you. Let your fountain, aka <clears throat> your wife, be blessed with the rewards of fidelity. Come on, baby. I'm going to make sure you're blessed tonight. Come on. Some of y'all are like, some of y'all like, husbands are going, that's my scripture right there. Good. <laughs> He's saying, keep it just you two. Keep it just you two. And rejoice. In the wife of your youth, it gets a little steamier. Verse 19. Let her breasts refresh you and satisfy you at all times. Always be exhilarated and delight in her love. Why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an immoral woman and embrace the bosom of an outsider? I think I just felt 20 more men go. If that's in the Bible, I start reading my Bible today. God is saying, I created it for two people to be in covenant and to have eyes only for one another. So keep it hot in your own bedroom. And number three, singles, keep it not in your own bedroom. (laughs) In other words, keep it out of the bedroom. Stay away from temptation. I got to ask the question, why was the foolish man walking down that part of town at midnight When it's getting dark, you can't claim to be that naive. The Proverbs 7 man knew he had no business staying there. This is not the right part of town at the right time of night to be in a place like this. And you and I have had the same Holy Spirit rise up in every one of us going, stop, get out of here. (laughs) The Bible says it this way, run from anything that causes youthful lust. Run, get up and go. Sorry, honey, you're too hot. I'm leaving. Want to be a Christian single? I'm sorry. You're attractive. Got to leave. That's the hottest pickup line ever. <laughs> Can't hang out with you alone. I'm not going to go in the bedroom and tempt fate. I'm not going to bring uh, uh, these types of things in a private manner. In fact, I wrote it this way. If it's not your spouse, keep it out. This means sexual immorality. It means sleeping around. It also means the use of pornography or erotic content. We've got to say, listen, that stuff's not helpful for keeping our eyes together. Can I tell you one of the ways that the enemy is robbing our generation? He throws pornography or erotic content as often as possible. He tries to tempt young ladies, you have to do this in order to keep a guy. He tells the guy, if she doesn't, then then something's wrong with this. And he desensitizes an entire generation to realize the goodness that's standing right before you. That when you get a birthright, you start going, bowls of soups are better. You think there's no consequence till you realize the other partner feels, I can never measure up. I can never have just your own eyes. I can never trust you on a walk by yourself at the wrong time of day. And he's stealing purity. He's stealing intimacy. He's stealing connection. He's stealing covenant. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. So much for so little. And in case you're not so sure about this message, even secular science is saying, this was right all along. Because many of us have been given the wine skin of indulge, who cares about tomorrow, live for the moment. Here's what secular science says, seven things, statistical facts that those who have sex outside of marriage are more likely for these seven things to happen. So if you want them, go ahead and continue down that path or buy that lie. Number one, they break up or get divorced more likely to break up or get divorced, more likely to experience physical abuse. By the way, the odds double to be physically abused when you start with sex outside of marriage. Number three, experience emotional abuse. Number four, more likely to experience anxiety and depression. Number five, more likely to be sexually dissatisfied. Number six, more likely to feel guilt and ongoing sexual inhibition. And number seven, more likely to commit adultery in the future. That doesn't sound too enticing to me. But the seductive soup says, forget about the birthright. Just live for the moment. So let me finish by saying this. Evaluate who you are close to. Number one, who are you spending the most time with and why? Ask yourself honestly. Number two, who are you following on social media and why? Number three, what content are you consuming the most and why? I believe that God wants to give us a message of wisdom. That today, from this point forward, we will not be deceived, naive people walking down the streets of 2024 going, I just didn't know it would have those ramifications. But he's trying to restore us to a right relationship with him. Would you bow your heads? Let me pray over you. God, I thank you so much for your message of wisdom. It is truth. It is light. Your word is a light unto our path. Help us to stay on the path and not to wander off the path into dark lands, into deceptive territories. Help expose the eye. Take the blindfolds off of our own eyes that today, under the sound of my voice, every one of us would have eyes to see and uh, ears to hear and minds to understand how Satan's trying to trip us up and steal our birthright to take as much as he can for as little as possible. Father, let us become righteous ones. Let us become your, your, your holy warriors. Let us become the ones who are able to be living testimonies of your goodness that when we rely on you today, and God, we're going to need to rely on you, that you will rise up strong in our weakness. We give it to you in Jesus' name. For those who feel any level of shame or guilt, I give a moment of time for repentance This is the time to silently let the Lord know what you're sorry for. And then I say this, Satan, your time is up because now that it's been forgiven by Jesus, and oh, it has been, by faith we have been restored and redeemed. So now that it has been redeemed by Jesus, That issue has no more weight or authority to hold us back, to cancel us, or to cause heaviness. For our God says, come to me, all who are burdened and heavy laden. I give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Thank you, Jesus, for lightening our burdens. I'm sensing people in remorse right now, knowing God has forgiven you. And with every head still bowed, every eye still closed. If you're in this place and you say, I need to start a relationship with this great Savior called Jesus Christ, whether it's for the first time or whether you've done it before, but you know you lost yourself and it's time to come back to him today. I won't call you forward. I will not embarrass you, but I want you to have a moment of courage where you'll just say, Pastor, that's me and I'm going all in with Jesus today. I'm confessing my sin and I'm giving my life back to Jesus. If that's you, would you just throw your hand in the air real quick and then you Put it back down. I thank you so much for the courage all over this room. I see hands everywhere. If you're online, you say that's me too. Come on, just write in the chat. I'm in. And I'm going to ask everyone who raised their hand to pray this prayer out loud. And the whole church will say it along with you and encourage you. Repeat after me. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. I know I'm a sinner. I've made a lot of mistakes. And I ask you to forgive me today. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. When he died on that cross, he paid for my sin too. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for a clean start. And from today on, I start again, forgiven, renewed, and with you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray and someone said amen amen celebrate what god has